بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A very warm welcome to another edition of Living the Legacy on Radio Islam. It's wonderful to have you join us for this hour and today inshallah we're exploring the legacy of another great individual of Islam. A true um, ambassador of the deen of Islam. Today we're looking at the life lessons from Hafsa radiallahu anha. As part of our series, we frequently look at the life lessons from different illustrious companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. At the moment, we're focusing on the Ummahatul Mu'mineen, on the, on the mothers of the believers, on the wives of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to look at the lessons we learn from their lives and how we can bring those lessons alive in our own lives. Part of living that legacy is ensuring that we turn back to the pages of history and we use those that history of ours, this rich, beautiful, inspiring history of Islam to build our own legacies. Insha'Allah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those inspired to change their lives for the better. Ameen ya Rabb. So we will be hearing today from Sister Muallima Mas'uda Jaapi on the topic Life Lessons from Hafsa radiallahu anha That comes up in the next segment of the program But first as part of our Ramadan readiness We're turning our attention to a topic of understanding the Qur'an And one question that comes up as we get closer to Ramadan and we enter into the month of Rajab is the topic, how can I benefit from the Qur'an? How am I meant to benefit from the Qur'an? So let's go into this topic more today. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. If you truly want to benefit from the Qur'an, your heart must be attentive and alert when reciting it and listening to it. Listen to the Qur'an carefully, with presence of mind, with paying attention to it, as if Allah Himself was speaking to you directly. Understand that this Qur'an is an address directed to you from Allah Most High upon the tongue of Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In Surah Qaf, Surah 50, Ayah 37, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, Truly, truly there is a reminder in this for anyone who has a heart or who listens attentively with presence of mind. A deep and lasting impression is dependent upon something that will stimulate a person. A location that can be influenced, being in the right condition and removing any barriers that would impede this from happening. This ayah of Surah Qaf mentions all of these in the most succinct and lucid of ways, clearly articulating the intended meaning. And so this, the Qur'an, is the stimulus. For anyone who has a heart, this refers to the location that can be influenced, 
And the heart referred to here is the living heart, the heart that is aware of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Yaseen, referred to as the heart of the Qur'an. In ayat, between ayat 60 and 70, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions to us, it is simply a reminder and a clear Qur'an so that you may warn those who are truly alive, meaning those whose hearts are alive. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us hearts that are alive. And then that ayah from Surah Qaf mentions, or who listen attentively, meaning directs, that we direct our faculty of hearing towards the Qur'an, and that we pay it the utmost attention. This is the condition that must exist for a person to be roused by the words of the Qur'an. And then in this ayah of Surah Qaf, it mentions, with presence of mind. Meaning that we engage with the Qur'an, we connect with the Qur'an with an alert and present heart, not being unmindful or absent. Ibn Qataybah said that a person who listens attentively to Allah's book with presence of heart and mind, not someone who is unmindful with an absent air. May Allah Forgive us for ever reading the Qur'an unmindfully. Ameen. So let's talk about the barrier. This then alludes to the barrier. An unmindful and inattentive heart which does not understand what is being said and as such is unable to reflect upon the Qur'an or direct any conscious thought towards it. And so if all these things come together, the end result is obtained, benefiting from the Qur'an and taking heed. So if someone were to ask if the end result, the lasting impression, is only attained by a combination of this attentive heart and mind and ears and eyes, why then did Allah say, all in the ayah, all who listens attentively? which implies a choice between one and another. Surely the word and would have been mentioned. It is said in reply, well, this is a good question. Or has been mentioned by taking into consideration the state of the one whom Allah is talking to. Some people have hearts that are alive, hearts that are readily you know, are ready to accept the truth and whose innate nature is intact. And if such a person was to reflect in his very heart and turn his mind to it, he would conclude that the Qur'an is authentic and true. His heart would witness what the Qur'an informs about it and the subsequent impression would be light layered on top of the light of its innate nature. This is the description mentioned in Surat Sada. Surah 34, Ayah 6, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Those who have been given knowledge, see that which has been sent down to you from your Lord is the truth. Allahu Akbar. And we know the famous Ayah of Surah An-Nur in Ayah 35, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the light of the innate nature, covered by the light of reflection. This is the condition of a person who has a living, receiving heart. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us such hearts. Ameen. We come back after the break to delve further into this ayah of Surah An-Nur and to learn more about having living, receiving hearts. Stay with us. Alhamdulillah, we continue onwards in our reflections towards better understanding how we are to benefit our hearts from the Qur'an. In Surah An-Nur, Ayat 35, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells you and I, Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. The metaphor of his light is that of a niche in which there is a lamp, the lamp inside a glass, the glass like a brilliant star, lit from a blessed tree, an olive, neither of the east nor the west, its oil all but giving off light, even if no fire touches it, light upon light. Allah guides to his light whoever he wills. Allah propounds metaphors for mankind, and Allah has knowledge of all things. Surah An-Nur, Surah 24, Ayah 35. This ayah refers to the light of the innate nature covered by the light of reflection. This is the condition of the person who has a living, receiving heart. And so the person who has an attentive heart receives the meanings of the Qur'an and readily accepts them, so much so that it seems as if the words have been inscribed on their hearts and they're able to recite them and internalize them fluently from memory. Other people have hearts which fall below the level of this. Their hearts are not as ready to receive the truth. They are not completely alive and their innate nature is not as refined. And so they stand in need of a witness who would differentiate the truth from falsehood for them in order to be guided such a person must pay the utmost attention to the words of the Qur'an. They must devote their hearts to it. They must ponder over the meanings of the Qur'an and then comprehend its meanings. And only after this will such a person realize that this is the truth, that this is the haqq. The first type of person sees the truth of what they're invited to and informed of with their own eyes. And the second type of person has learned that it is the truth that, and has certainty in it and is satisfied. The first has attained the ranks of beneficence, of ihsan, and the second has attained the ranks of faith or iman. The first has attained ilm al-yaqeen, from which the heart has ascended to the degree of ayn al-yaqeen. But the second type has acquired a level of unwavering faith, unwavering belief, which takes that person out of the fold of disbelief and into the fold of Islam. Now, Ayn al-Yaqeen is of two categories. What is acquired in this world and what is acquired in the hereafter. In this world, it is to the heart what the beheld is to the eye. All the matters of the unseen that the messengers السلام, informed us of will be seen by the eye in the hereafter and the inner sight in this world. And in both cases, this is Ayn al-Yaqeen. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us such understanding and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who continue working on strengthening and building our relationship with the Quran on a daily basis. May Allah make us of those. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. As we come closer to the to the days of Ramadan and the months are going by, it is so important for us to reflect upon our lives, reflect on our relationship with the Quran, asking ourselves, what is my relationship with the Quran? How much of time and effort and energy do I spend reading the Quran, improving on my recitation and pronunciation, memorizing the Quran, understanding the Quran, and seeking to implement it? What is my plan in the build-up to this Ramadan in terms of my relationship with the Quran? Something that's been bothering many of us in our communities, our community leaders, our ulama, parents, is the realization that so many Muslims, especially our youth, are not engaging with the Quran as they should be. Instead of reading and striving to understand under the guidance and leadership of scholars, the Qur'an, many people avoid reading the Qur'an. Many of our youth have deserted the Qur'an Kareem. And so this is something that we should be working on as a community this Ramadan. What is it that we can do to bring our youth back to the Qur'an, to help them come closer to the Qur'an, to, to start reading it daily? Those, there are many in our youth who have memorized the Qur'an, but who have forgotten the Qur'an. They have forgotten the Qur'an that they've memorized. Some of our youth have memorized the entire Qur'an, but yet do not do any revision. Some only revise in the days leading up to Ramadan. So many in our communities have memorized the Qur'an, but have not gone further to pursue understanding what they've memorized or refining the character. And this is not only for those who've memorized the Qur'an, but for all of us, for this entire community of the Ummah of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so we must ask ourselves, what is it that we are going to do to make those changes? What is it we're going to do so that we start um, carrying this duty of the Qur'an, not only for our own selves, but for our youth as well? So that we as the next generation lead by example. So that our youth can see that, you know, um, we have this example in the older generation. And that, inshallah, we can follow in that example and we can do, inshallah, the same in building our relationship with the Qur'an. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this understanding and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of that generation that leads our youth back to the Qur'an. And so with community members, as teachers, as ulama, as uh, organizations in our community, what are we planning to do this Ramadan to lead our youth back to the Qur'an? What activities do we have planned for our male and female youth? Those that are Hufav, those that are not, those that have stopped madrasa at maktab level or have not even completed madrasa. What are we doing? What projects do we have in place? 
And it's so important we teach our youth and we mentor them to get back to the Quran, that we teach them to find their answers, their comfort, their friendship within the Quran and the words of the Quran. So that is my challenge to all our communities for this Ramadan finding ways and means to connect our youth back to the Qur'an, finding out what are the gaps, why are they not connected to the Qur'an, why are they so far away from the Qur'an, why are they not going back to the Qur'an. It starts with us having this discussion, having this dialogue with our youth, initiating that, finding out where are the missing pieces, where have we, uh, where, where, is, where have we failed them, where have we not followed through with them, and building up from there. I'd be interested to know what you and your communities are doing for this Ramadan and for your youth, for their connection with the Qur'an. Please feel free to email us, hana at radioislamlive.com, so that we could share that with communities on air and learn from each other and support communities. The email address is again hana at radioislamlive.com. We go for an ad break and when we come back, I look forward to welcoming you to our guest and our topic. Stay with us. Wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Jazakumullahu khairan hafidharihana for having me once again. It is truly an honor joining you on the airwaves as always. Alhamdulillah. Perhaps we could begin with a foundation. And if we could ask you to share with us, please, a brief introduction on Hafsa radiallahu anha. Who was she? If you could tell us a bit about her family, maybe her background, any information available on her life from the books of Islamic history, we'd love to be acquainted with her through you, please. Subhanallah. There is so much to be said. So I ask of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow me to do justice during this program to really paint a beautiful picture of who she truly was, subhanAllah. So let's begin. Who was she? She was the daughter of the second Khalifa of Islam, as we know, Hazrat Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu, as well as Zainab binti Maz'oon radiallahu anha. She belonged to the Banu Adi tribe of the Quraysh and uh, she was born several years before the very first revelation, uh, subhanAllah. Now, the kind of family that she was raised in was renowned for learning and education and very much like her father, subhanAllah, she was inquisitive and sharp-witted and courageous woman who lived up to her name. Now, the reason why I say this, and it's it's really so beautiful to, to reflect on really quickly, subhanAllah, was that... Um, in Arabic, the name Hafs is one of the names given to a lion, right? And the Prophet ﷺ would often address Hazrat Umar anhu as Abu Hafs, meaning the father of Hafs, meaning father of Hafs anha. And uh, if you're taking a look at the Arabic meaning of it, Hafsa would mean young lioness, subhanAllah. She was also the one of the mothers of the believers as she was married to the Prophet ﷺ. And uh, subhanAllah, so much to learn from her life. Uh, Allahu Akbar. Jazakumullah khair wa'alima wa sauda for laying that foundation for us. And now as we um, have been acquainted with Hafsa uh, bint Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhum, um, perhaps we could continue by now approaching it from the angle of Sira. And here's where I want to ask you, what is it that we learn through the seerah of her personality. 
We understand that each of the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen had their own personality. And that's what makes them so endearing, so relatable, that we can connect to them on different levels uh, through their personalities where parts of that may mirror and we may find that in our own personality. So what do we learn through the seerah of Hafsa radiallahu anha's personality? So what do we learn about who she was, subhanAllah? So let's begin. Okay, like how we said, she was the daughter of Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu, who was the second Khalifa of Islam. And now Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu, as we can understand, he had earned the title of Al-Faruq, which means the one who distinguishes between right and wrong. A little bit of a sidebar here so that we can understand better. In the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or rather the time, that time, the Arabs would give each other titles for your most distinguishable characteristic. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ had the title of Al-Ameen and Al-Siddiq, uh, the trustworthy and the truthful. And if you're taking a look at who Hazrat Umar who was, he really truly embodied um, his title of Al-Faruq being the one who distinguishes between right and wrong. So she grew up in this home with a father of who was Umar and So I want you to imagine what that might have been like. And her brother who was a close companion of the Prophet ﷺ, Hazrat Abdullah bin Umar who. And she was also surrounded by senior Sahaba of the Prophet She became a very devout Muslim herself. Alhamdulillah, um, they, she very much embodied their characteristics of the of the Sahaba and her father. Um, and radiallahu anhu she would often observe fast and stay awake most of the nights offering tahajjud. So this leaves little question as to why she was chosen as one of the wives of the Prophet she had learned to read and write at a very early age and had memorized the Holy Quran by heart. So she was one of the Sahabia, subhanAllah, who was a Hafidah. Her knowledge of religious matters was very sound and at least 60 ahadith have been narrated by her. So like her father, she was inquisitive by nature and she would not shy away from asking any questions to quench her thirst for knowledge. I, I want to share with you really quickly with regards to this an incident that happened with her and the Prophet wasallam. So the Prophet wasallam was talking to her and he had mentioned uh, that of those who took uh, the pledge of Aqaba, none would enter Jahannam. And the Prophet uh, and Hazrat who was very curious and she was very curious in, in her mind had then... And Hazrat Hafsa, who was of a very curious disposition, she replied, What about the verse which states, There is not one of you, but will come to it. And the Prophet ﷺ pointed her to the next verse, which states, Allah shall save the righteous and leave the wrongdoers therein on their knees. And this was talking about those who would be destined for Jahannam. That comes to us from Sahih Muslim. So it needs to be understood that she wasn't uh, questioning the authority of the Prophet ﷺ after defiance. No, rather, she was very keen and a sense of observation that would often compel her to inquire and comprehend the intricacies of the Quranic injunctions more deeply and her understanding needed to, to grow so she had her questions and she never kept them to herself she had asked the Prophet now during his lifetime the Prophet would entrust Hazrat Hafsa anha with the parchments on which the Holy Quran was inscribed for safekeeping 
Now, after his demise, after the Prophet ﷺ passed away, a large number of the Muslimin and the Sahaba who had memorized the Qur'an laid down their lives in the Battle of Yamama. And because many of them were Hafad, as Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu had ordered, Hazrat Zayd radiallahu anhu, uh, this now Zayd bin Thawit radiallahu anhu, to compile the Qur'an in a single book form, in a Mus'haf. And Hazrat Hafsa radiallahu anhu was the one who was consulted. Uh, she was also consulted on this matter. And at the end of the Khalifat, um, of the second Khalifat, so this Hazrat uh, Umar radiallahu anhu then bequeathed the compiled copy to his daughter, which remained with her until she had passed away. Now, numerous copies were made from her version of the copy in the era of Zidosman, and this was distributed throughout uh, the Muslim world. I want to go back now to the time when she had actually married the Prophet wasallam, and I think we can delve a little bit more into this, alhamdulillah. Now, Hafsa radiallahu anha was first married to Hazrat Hunais bin Hulayfa al-Sahmi radiallahu anhu. And owing to the many atrocities and persecutions of the Quraysh, he migrated both to Abyssinia and then to Medina. Now at the Battle of Badr, uh, Hazrat Hunais radiallahu anhu had been severely wounded and later uh, he had succumbed to, to his injuries. Now this left Hazrat Hafsa radiallahu anha a very young widow. It is important for us to understand what life was like during the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and what, customary, what was customary for Arabs at that time. It was customary for Arabs to have their daughters marry at an early age. And if they were widowed, they would get them married as soon as possible. And this was the situation in which Hazrat Umar radiallahu had found himself in, where his daughter Hafsa was a young widow. And this had worried and distressed him greatly. So what was done as customary in those times was they would marry their daughters to someone whom they approved of. SubhanAllah. So what did Hazrat Umar anhu do? One day, he had walked to the house of Abu Bakr anhu, and then he had spoken to him and then he had offered the hand of his daughter in marriage to Hazrat Abu Bakr anhu. And Hazrat Abu Bakr anhu had remained silent. He said nothing. And Hazrat Umar anhu then had left and he was quite distressed um, and uh, a little agitated and confused. And then he went to Hazrat Uthman bin Affan anhu. And Hazrat Umar who had thought that since Hazrat Uthman who was married to Hazrat anha, who had recently passed away, uh, this was the Prophet's daughter, so he was still grieving that possibly he would respond favorably. But Uthman replied and want to marry today. And this is because Uthman was still not over uh, the death of, of his beloved wife. He was still grieving. And Umar who still was clearly upset, he left. And this is when the Prophet saw him and asked him as to why he looked so worried. And Umar informed him of what had happened. And the Messenger of Allah said, Hafsa shall marry someone who is better than Uthman. And Uthman shall marry someone who is better than Hafsa. Uh, ya Rabbi. Umar radiallahu anhu left the Prophet sallallahu company relieved, but confused of what the Prophet sallallahu had meant. When Umar radiallahu had met Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he told him about what the Prophet sallallahu had said, and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu smiled and said, I heard that the Prophet sallallahu mentioning Hafsa, but I didn't want to reveal his secret. If he had not shown his interest in marrying her, I would have married her. So do not bear any grudge against me. 
And then Uthman radiallahu anhu had come to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam clearly sad and distressed over the death of his wife and he said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam my marriage relationship with you has come to an end by the death of Ruqayya O Messenger of Allah and the Prophet ﷺ sympathized with him and said, I have given you her sister, Umm Kulthum, in marriage. If I had ten daughters, I would have given them to you in marriage, one after the other, subhanAllah. This is how the Prophet ﷺ had married Hafsa radiallahu anha, and Uthman radiallahu anha had married Umm Kulthum radiallahu anha. Now Hafsa now luckily held the prestigious title of being called Umm al-Mu'mineen, which means the mother of the faithful. for that. Um, let's move into how we can learn from her. So what would you say are the life lessons we can take from Hafsa radiallahu anha story? And the second part to my question is, how can we apply these life lessons in our own lives? Ah, oh, subhanAllah, beautiful question. What life lessons can we learn? Now, Hazrat Hafsa radiallahu anha was born during the time in Mecca where uh, girl babies were actually seen as a disgrace. And Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu had honored his family because he really valued knowledge, had given her the best of upbringings and ensured that she could read and write so that she would then be a added value to society, subhanAllah. And I think this is something so beautiful that as parents we take a lesson from Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu's upbringing of Hafsa radiallahu anha that we empower our daughters. And I think that is something so beautiful because she was empowered from the time she was young. She was given the tools that she needed, subhanAllah. And I think that is absolutely amazing and something that we can truly take a life lesson from. Also, I want to add on to her nature. Allah had made her in such a way that she was so curious and witty and strong-minded, subhanAllah, like her father, Allahu Akbar. But using those kind of qualities, if she navigated her life with those amazing qualities, and I want us to emulate her qualities in, in our personas, inshallah, to ask the questions that we have in a similar way in which she had questioned the Prophet so that she could fully understand the injunctions in the Quran. We are now taking that kind of lesson in the life that we live right now instead of blindly following. In the era where everyone are literally we have youngsters who are just sheep, who follow along trends because everyone is doing it, Hazrat Hafsa radiallahu questioned. And this is what I want and our amazing young um, Muslima to do is ask the questions that need to be asked. And if you don't know something or don't understand, still ask. Inshallah, we'll find the right person to be able to answer your questions for you, inshallah. And inshallah, by doing so, not only are you empowering yourself, but ensuring that you are going to then be following the sunnah of the Prophet by keeping yourself guided right, inshallah. I want to talk about also another amazing life lesson and this is the three that I think that's most important is that she was a woman who had devoted her life to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where she would be seen as one who would constantly fast and get up to pray to hajjit subhanallah.
There's an account where Jibreel alayhi salam attested her traits to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam where he said she fasts often and frequently prays at night so prays the hajjud. Uh, she will be a wife in paradise subhanallah. Can you imagine Jibreel alayhi salam attested to her traits. Now Hazrat Hafsa radiallahu anha herself is an amazing prolific individual whom there's so much to learn from her life. Now I want to add on to the fact that she was a hafidah she was a protector of the quran in the sense that she was not only have memorized but then she was given the honor by her father to physically protect the quran after his demise the quran the mushaf the only copy that was um, available in the time of the khalifa of the of, of her father anhu, was then given to her in her care and then during the time of Uthman anhu, was then copied were made from there and if you're taking a look at someone uh, who had to have then been a protector of it subhanallah here her name comes where uh, the meaning of it being a lioness subhanallah that protector that she was she fervently protected it she ensured that she took care of it and i think this is something that we can then ensure that we do is constantly then emulate Hazrat Hafsa radiallahu anha in our own life by making ensuring that we too endeavor to be able to learn our Quran and we also then uh, ensure that we fast as well and then get our foot uh, to, pray to, uh, pray to pray to Hajjat inshallah I mean so so many life lessons that we can actually learn to implement I feel this is one that we should really really try and last but not least let's take a look at being inquisitive and asking those questions inshallah I think those are amazing Amazing things that we can learn and life lessons that we can learn from Hazrat Hafsa radiallahu anha. Shukran for that, shukran. What would you say, Masauda, um, are some of the ways in which we can introduce our young daughters to the lives of the great women of Islam? Now this question I think is something that's really imperative, that we have to understand that our young amazing daughters are very much influenced by who they see whether it be on social media whether it be on television whether it be on youtube so these are the prolific characters that they are um, attuned to wanting to follow and wanting to be like in their dressing in their speech in their interactions and what they see greatly affects them so we need to first embody the sunnah as mothers and i think that's important as mothers, as aunts, as grandmothers, as fathers as well, we play a very pertinent role in ensuring that our daughters get to see those characteristics and the qualities of the great women of Islam, the Ummul Mu'mineen. And I think this is the way in which we can introduce it to them by first embodying, the, embodying those characters and characteristic, uh, characteristics of the Sahabia, uh, radiallahu anhum ajma'een. And also what we need to then do is sit and talk talk to them about about them and make them real for our daughters and I say this uh, with understanding that I have a 12 year old who's going to be turning 13 pretty soon may Allah make it easy for myself and all mothers out there subhanallah that they can love and love and appreciate the 
qualities of these amazing individuals, inshallah, and would love to emulate them. But that means we are going to have to fully understand who they were first, so that when we're telling them about them, they're going to see how much we love them, and then they would want to be just like them as well. And find traits and qualities that within the Sahabia that they are finding an affinity towards. If we take a look at Hazrat Nusayba radiallahu anha, who was a great archer and swordswoman, subhanallah, she had protected the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In today's day and age, knowing that our daughters need to be able to protect themselves, it will be a great way in which we can now introduce the character of Hazrat Nusayba radiallahu anha, of being a warrior, subhanallah. Would you not want to be a warrior like Hazrat Nusayba radiallahu anha? Let them love those individuals and inshallah by then ensuring that we teach them by not only just words on a page or words in a book we bring these characters to life for them and i think that's important that they don't only just see them as a story but they can connect with this individual inshallah and fully understand uh, the seerah and the way in which the contribution that these great women had given to islam subhanallah this is ways in which we can introduce our young daughters to the lives of the uh, of the great women of islam it is it is a manner in which means we have to take a step back and see how we can be that embodiment remember our children are the greatest our greatest imitators what they see we do they will do and i always say my ears are closest to my lips depending on the way in which we dress in the way in which we talk in the way in which we interact with others if we give precedence for our salah over all else they will do the same inshallah if if our dressing is that of the libas taqwa they too will embody that as well, inshallah. And considering that they have to have, and rather they have a greater fight than we did in the sense that what they are fighting and how they are fighting against their nafs and against shaitan is so much greater that we have to be their greatest support. And in doing so, inshallah, uh, they shall be a little bit more um, accepting and willing to change. It shouldn't be dictated that this is what you have to be like. They should learn to love these women, subhanallah, as we are instructed by the Prophet wasallam to love these sahaba. And definitely this is one, one way in which we can do so. Alhamdulillah. Jazakumullah khair for that beautiful, um, re- those resources. Why would you say it's important for our sons and our menfolk as well to learn about the history of the females in Islam? How would you say it would benefit them? It is important because ultimately as the women in a community, we play a great role. Subhanallah. Uh, as taught in the sunnah, the lap of the mother is the university of the child. So what they would then seek as wives, subhanAllah, and the qualities in which they are looking for uh, in in their future spouses should be that of uh, one that is going to be pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the qualities that they would need to seek um, as those represented by these amazing women of Islam, subhanAllah. So definitely one great benefit there uh, is then we they would know in, in how to be able to then grow up their daughters. We understand that uh, one of the signs of Qiyamah is that women will outnumber men. 
And knowing this, you know, we can understand this is happening. As, as a teacher, I know we would see roll counts on, on, in, in classrooms where we have possibly, for example, eight boys and the balance girls, you know. And it is it is something that is currently happening. We're seeing it a lot. There are a lot more daughters. That means there are a lot more fathers of daughters. What are we teaching our daughters? Is it the sole responsibility of the mother to be able to then educate uh, their daughter or treat them well? And also with regards to brothers, if they learn how to be able to treat the women within their life and the qualities that these women would have, subhanAllah, they would revert their sisters. They would revert their mothers and aunts and grandmothers. And this is what we want out of society. It is highly important for our sons and the men folk to be able to learn about the history of women in Islam. It is going to then add a different aspect of appreciation and understanding of the lives of the Sahabia and inshallah then teach them ways in which they can help their families grow and improve inshallah because remember as men they would be uh, as fathers they are the uh, shepherd of the flock who needs to be able to ensure that they guide us right inshallah and by doing so they would teach us from the life of the Sahabia of how we should be able to do so inshallah Perhaps if we could ask you to share with us your reading recommendations or any audio resources that you would suggest we look into on resources that can be helpful for both teachers and parents or individuals uh, on learning more about Hafsa radiallahu anha, please. With regards to finding recommendations, and I think this is a, this is a big one, there was not a great variety of information out there in the sense of many kutub that we could find regarding uh, the uh, the story of Hafsa radiallahu anha. And uh, alhamdulillah, there were a few. Um, I know Darul Darul Salam had one kitab called Great Women of Islam, and uh, this kitab was written by Mahmoud Ahmed Ghadanfar, was revised by Sheikh Safiur Rahman, Al-Mubarakpuri Alhamdulillah it is available as a um, as a PDF uh, if you can, you can find that one online so the kitab Men and Women Around the Messenger by uh, Khalid Muhammad Khalid uh, Dr. Abdul Hamid Aliwa I think that one's a beautiful one and um, Alhamdulillah there's lots of uh, there's lots of a few small kitabs that I think that you were going to find now online with audio recommendations is the Mother of the Believers uh, series by Sheikh Yasser Qadi that's the one that I had listened to Alhamdulillah uh, also a few by uh, Mufti Mank and I think what we can do is just be careful and wary of which um, scholars you are following because there are a few stories that we need to be a bit careful of inshallah uh, but yes definitely there are a few sources out there that we can refer back to when we are researching the women uh, um, the great women of Islam subhanallah Alhamdulillah, I am certain that will be helpful to both myself, reading up more, learning more, as well as for our our listeners. We have a variety of listeners, both some in the teaching field, some parents, homeschoolers, so it can benefit us all and may Allah grant us all beneficial knowledge. Ameen. Our last question to you today before we, we sign off is to ask you, what about Hafsa radiallahu anha inspires you in your daily life? We'd be interested to know. And Jazakumullah Khair for your time today. 
There's so much, subhanAllah, where do I start? I think I, I would take away exactly as I mentioned with regards to the life lessons of uh, ensuring that we too would uh, look at trying to be able to learn more about the Qur'an. I, one thing I had not mentioned earlier, which I, I feel is very pertinent, that after she got got married to the Prophet wasallam, actually this started when they had moved to Medina uh, after the um, after the Hijrah, where she had taken her, taken the time to really learn um, uh, her and perfect her hifz at that point in time. So all the ayat that were being revealed, uh, she was learning them. And then obviously remember that Arabic is their mother tongue, so for them to understand exactly what was meant by the teachings of the Quran subhanallah she would delve and find out more subhanallah and even after she was married to the Prophet wasallam, she kept on learning and she learned and learned and this is how uh, she would be counted as one of the Sahabia who were a hafidha subhanallah now if you're taking a look at that type of zeal is that it doesn't stop you know it's for us, the Qur'an is a complete mushaf. For the Sahabia and the Sahaba at the time when they were learning, it was still being put together, subhanAllah. It was still being revealed to the Prophet wasallam, And they would learn it in the manner in which the Prophet wasallam had taught them. Uh, and what is beautiful about this is that uh, I love how, uh, you know, this is... This is who she was, subhanAllah. She was a woman who was was uh, pious and loved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and honored uh, that even Jibreel alayhi salam would, would have spoken so highly of her as being someone who would fast and then uh, and get up for tajjid, subhanAllah. These are qualities loved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then again, so much that we can take from her life. I love the asking and being the curious, um, and the curious, uh, sorry, I love the fact that she was curious and asked questions. And that's the kind of person that I am, that I've always been, subhanAllah, that I always ask uh, when I don't understand something. And I think that's something that we, I will definitely take away is that it's okay to ask and that we should ask questions if we have anything that we'd love to be able to be clarified, inshallah. There's still so many more lessons that I think if we revisit the story of Hazrat Hafsa radiallahu anha maybe possibly in six months time or in uh, a year's time we would learn so much more subhanallah even delving in the different ahadith that she had narrated subhanallah there's so much to learn about her character. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who don't just learn about people um, and specifically the people who were so great and influential in Islam, Sahaba radiallahu ajma'in, as just mere stories, but rather to fully embrace who they were as amazing individuals and emulate them, subhanAllah. And um, yes, bring these characters to life in our life, inshallah. Ameen, Allahumma ameen. I just want to say Jazakumullah khairan for having me once again. Hafidha Rihanna, it's always definitely a pleasure being with you. Uh, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly allow us to improve upon our knowledge inshallah. And uh, inshallah may we constantly learn uh, from each other. Jazakumullah khairan once again. And Jazakumullah khairan to your listeners for spending time with me um, today. Ameen. Assalamu alaikum. Alhamdulillah, and with that we have much to think about, pray over, and 
reflect on how we are going to bring alive the legacy of Hafsa radiallahu anha in our lives, how are we going to teach and impart this knowledge to our sons, daughters, community and internalize the gems that we learned from her life lessons. May Allah be pleased with her and us all. Ameen. That brings us to the close of this week's edition of the program with gratitude and thanks to Sister Mas'uda, Mu'allima Mas'uda Jappi, educator, life coach and lifelong learner. Always wonderful to have her on the program with us. Until we meet again next week. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.